Well, let me encourage you to have your Bible open at the sixth chapter of Galatians. Now, the Apostle Paul is getting very close towards the end of his letter now. Before he brings it to its conclusion, he brings out some really poignant points of application. And we started to see the first of those last week. As Paul is led by God's Spirit, he calls upon these Galatian believers and upon every generation of believers since then to think about a number of areas of our corporate life together and the life that you live generally as a Christian to realize that our lives together are riddled with opportunities. And they are opportunities which we can either get wonderfully correct in the way that we use them, or we can either get them disastrously wrong. And Paul wants us to try to be those believers who make the best and the most of every opportunity that the Lord puts in our path. Opportunities when the choices that we make and the attitudes that we have will either build up or will bring down. And these are issues concerning which every single one of us needs to be constantly watchful because all of us have still enough of that old sinful nature which Paul calls the flesh in this letter. We have enough of that remaining in us to get things very wrong. But, as Paul is going to pains to emphasize in this letter, within all of us, as believers, we also have the Spirit of God and we have him in his entirety because he is a person. You either have all of him or you have none of him. You can't have part of the Spirit. If you have him, you have him. And with his help, walking his way, being led by him, we can take those opportunities that God places before us and get things very right. And we must give ourselves to these things. It requires an active diligence on our part. And God, by his spirit and through his word, promises to supply everything that we need. We need the will to do it. We need the wisdom to do it. We need the grace to do it. We need all of those graces that the Spirit brings, which Paul lays before us in the fifth chapter, and which God has promised to supply to each one of us. Now, last week we saw that there are three poisons of the old fleshly nature which are to be put out of reach and kept out of reach. And they were conceit, provocation, and envy. Put them away, don't touch. There were two principles to be grasped. A heart to see a brother or sister restored if they've wandered off the path. And a character that does it gently. One warning to heed. Consider yourself, take care to yourself because we're all too quick and it's all too easy to pass judgment on others and never once pause to examine me. 
And as we continue through these next few verses, Paul provides us with further timely counsel in areas that we can so easily overlook, so easily get wrong. And here are three more lessons for us this afternoon. Number one is bear the burdens of others. Number two, bear self-examination. And number three, bear your own load. And if you're thinking, bear someone else's burden and bear your own load seem to be in contradiction to each other, I can assure you they're not, and I hope to show you that by the time we've finished. So number one, which is verse two, is bear the burdens of others. It is literally pick up and carry the weight that others are struggling to pick up and carry. Now, of course, it's absolutely true that for each one of us as individual Christians and for all of us together as a local church, God himself is our strength. He it is who keeps and preserves us. He it is who grants us faith. He it is who brings to bear within us all of those graces of the Holy Spirit that we considered the other week. The fruit of the Spirit. It's all his doing. We're all completely dependent upon the Lord. And we enter into the reality of that by means of our union with Christ by means of the indwelling of the Spirit, and this we receive by faith. God alone, the Bible teaches so clearly, is our fortress and our tower of strength. But what the Bible also teaches is that one of the ways in which God works all of that out is by means of his people ministering to one another. We are his instruments in his hands. There will be times when one of the ways that God strengthens and keeps you is by sending to you another believer who can minister to you, pray for you, get alongside you and bear that burden with you that you're under. So here's an example from the, the experience of the Apostle Paul. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And there, Paul writes this. Indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. What's he saying there? We were really struggling when we were in Macedonia, we felt we were under this enormous burden. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, how did he comfort Paul? He comforted us by the coming of Titus. A brother came. God sent him. And God relieved Paul's burden. But how did he do it? He did it through Titus. 
It was God's doing. But he used a brother in Christ to do it. And so you must be ready for those times when God is likewise going to use you. And he'll, he'll send you to another believer to strengthen them, to help to keep them in the faith. There'll be times when that's what you need. And the language that Paul uses here in this verse is quite specific. If you see another believer who's been confronted with a burden that is too heavy for them to lift on their own, too great for them to carry it on their own, go and bear it with them. Now what this is not is an invitation to interfere in every aspect of other people's lives. Uh, sometimes we can think we're helping and actually we discover we've just been interfering. We need a lot of wisdom and grace and discernment to know the difference sometimes. Some Christians, of course, have really close friendships. They almost live in each other's pockets. And that's great. And that's a good thing. But that actually is not what Paul is talking about here in this particular verse with this particular phrase. We read in the book of Acts in the early days of the Jerusalem church, don't we, that the believers there shared things in common. And of course, that is very good. But this verse here is talking about something more specific than that. You'll see if you read on, we read those verses towards the end of our Bible reading, verses 9 and 10, where Paul speaks of us constantly seeking to do good whenever and however we have opportunity. But this second verse has, I believe, a bit more of an edge to it than that. I suppose we might say this verse carries a bit more weight, literally. Now, if you can lend someone your lawnmower because theirs is broken, or if you can cook them a meal because they're ill, that's brilliant. But I don't think those are the kinds of things that quite fall into the category of burden that Paul is thinking of here in this particular verse. This verse is talking about when you see another believer who is faced with something that they are unable to deal with on their own. They're unable to lift this burden unaided. They're never going to carry it on their own. And actually, left on their own, there's a very good chance it's going to crush them. And God has a solution lined up for them, which is for you to go and bear it with them. With you, they can lift it. With you, they can carry it. And that's the picture that Paul's putting before us here. And of course, these burdens can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. They come in many forms. Now, following on immediately as it does from verse 1, it could be the burden of a sin or a temptation to sin. And if they are to overcome it, if they are to defeat it, if they are to put it away and to do it consistently, there's a help and an encouragement that they're going to need. 
and maybe you're the one to give them that help and encouragement. It could be some affliction or sorrow that's come upon them. It could be a grief. It could be a circumstance which threatens to completely overwhelm them. It might be something that's been building up for some time. And up until yesterday, they've been able to bear it. But something's happened. And it's just been enough to just tip the scales. And today, they just can't lift it. Not on their own. It might be something that 20 years ago they wouldn't have batted an eyelid over it. But in the frailty of older age, that little molehill looks and feels like Mount Everest. And now they need you. It could be something that's arrived like a bolt out of the blue, that's caught them completely unexpectedly, And it simply knocked them for six. These burdens come in all shapes and sizes. But Paul says, aim to be a burden bearer. And fulfill the law of Christ, he says. What's that, you may ask? Well, it's it's verse 14 of chapter 5. To love your neighbor as yourself. This is part of that that one great commandment which has so many facets to it. So many aspects to loving your neighbor, aren't there? But this is one of them. Now, yes, that involves all of those little acts of kindness and sharing. But this that Paul is talking about here is deeper than that. Burdens are heavy. Burdens can be difficult to deal with. Burdens can be hard toil to move. And so Paul places before us all this this great exhortation. Are you ready to be? Are you prepared to be? Are you of a right attitude to be? Are you on the lookout to be? Are you sufficiently spiritually mature to be a burden bearer well there's something for all of us to to take to the lord in prayer to seek the wisdom the grace the discernment that we need to watch out for others who we can see are struggling under a burden and you want to go and be that burden bearer you may need to uh, ask around a little first perhaps you may need to seek a little counsel and guidance and advice But can you be a burden bearer? But Paul also is aware that there can be a danger in what he's saying here. There's a danger that we can look at the size of the burden. We can look at the person who's under it and judge that they're just not worth the toil and sweat that it's going to take. Or you might be tempted to judge them in a critical way. Well, that wouldn't be a burden to me, so it shouldn't be a burden to them. Well, if ever any of that kind of thinking might creep into our minds, Paul moves on in verses 3 and 4. 
And having said that, first of all, you need to bear one another's burdens, he also exhorts us to bear self-examination. Because Paul is aware that if we're not careful, conceit can come into play again here. Well, I'm not getting my hands dirty with that. They should be able to carry it. I could. Well, no one came to help me when I went through something like that, and I survived. What's wrong with these people, we might think? Well, this leads into what Paul is saying in verse 3, and in it he's unpacking a little bit more for us how it is, perhaps, that conceitedness can work in our own hearts. Conceit is considering yourself to be something when the Bible says you are nothing you can read it for yourself it's right there in verse 3 to think that I am something when I am nothing it's the all too easy danger of elevating yourself in the light of how you think you see others you decide that the way in which you see yourself as a Christian, how able you are, how gifted you are, how knowledgeable and wise you are, how reliable you are, how deserving of more responsibility you are, how much more sanctified you are, and so on and so on and so on. You decide all of those things by comparing yourself to others. And very rarely will anyone find themselves putting themselves at the bottom of the pile. There'll always be someone underneath me. There's always someone who I can find who I am better than. I am at least something in the church compared to him or compared to her. And this is the danger of that old fleshly nature that if we're not careful can be rising up within us. But Paul says quite a strong thing, doesn't he? You're deceiving yourselves, he says. You are nothing. That's completely the wrong way to think. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now that's the way of the world in which we live. Measuring myself against my neighbors. Measuring myself against all the images that I see in the world's media and wanting to attain to those things or being rather pleased with myself that I already have. That's the world's way. But anything that you are as a Christian, you are because of what God has done for you and is doing in you. Therefore, what you are as a Christian is not decided by how you think you compare to others in the church. 
What you are as a Christian is decided between you and Christ and what it is that he requires of you. I heard it explained like this as just one example. Here's a Christian, so I'm not pointing at you, Cliff, I'm just... Here's a Christian who has quite a short temper. Here's a Christian who is a model of long-suffering and patience. And this believer looks at the short-tempered one over here and pats themselves on the back. So thankful that they're not like this one over here who's and this one often passes remarks about that one to others in the church there he goes again have you heard him but actually the reality of those two situations is completely different this one over here who's quite patient and long-suffering Actually, even before they were saved, they were quite patient and long-suffering. They had a, a natural disposition to be quite patient and long-suffering. But this one, if you spoke to anyone who knew them before they were saved, wow, they would say, what a transformation. You think they're short-tempered now. You should have seen what they were like before they were saved. Unbelievable what God has done in their life. Let each one examine his own work. What has God done in me? What is God doing in me? What level of change? has God brought to bear upon me? But there's a curious thing that Paul says here, isn't there? Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What does Paul mean? Because on the face of it, rejoicing in yourself is the epitome of what it means to be conceited, isn't it? Well, we know that can't be what he means, but what does he mean? What he means is this. Don't be looking at others. Look at yourself in the mirror of God's word. Look at yourself in the example of Christ and examine yourself there. How am I measuring up against God's word? How am I measuring up against Christ? How am I doing? How am I growing? Look at yourself in the light of those graces which are the fruit of God's spirit back in chapter 5. Is that fruit growing? Am I making progress? How have I grown compared to this time last year?
As lockdown first introduced back in March, I preached a sermon. I wonder if anyone can remember the title. I wonder if anyone can remember the sermon. Not just coping, learning and growing. And Paul's question is, have you, are you, in the mirror of God's word and compared with the example of Christ, on this issue, forget about everybody else. Now, in most other areas, you should not forget about everybody else. But on this one, forget about the others. It's about you in the mirror of the word and before the example of Christ. How are you doing? That's the only measurement worth doing. Don't be measuring yourself against me when you can measure yourself against the word. For goodness sake, don't be measuring yourself against me when you should be measuring yourself against Christ. And when you do grow, whose work is that? Yours? No. It's the power and the grace of God at work in you, in Christ, by his Spirit. And so in yourself, you have this rejoicing. Look at what God has done. That's what Paul is saying. Listen to this. This is what it is. Listen, this is from the Scripture. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has regarded the lowly state of his servant. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, of course, that was Mary's hymn of praise, but that should be yours. And that should be mine. Because that's what Paul is talking about here. The lowly state of his servant. Nothing. All of us, nothing. Who do I think I am? Raising myself more highly than a brother or sister in Christ. Wretched man that I am. Chief of sinners. Wrestling with this body of death. That should be your thought. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in him we rejoice. And in his work that he's doing in me. That is my source of rejoicing. To be like that on your knees before the Lord. That's what Paul is talking about in verses 3 and 4 of Galatians 6. Rejoicing in what God has done in you. Which means all the praise goes to him. As it should. And the more we can all be like that, the stronger and healthier and more holy and more Christ-like we and Christ's church will be. And before we close, Paul has one further exhortation for us to consider And it's this, 
Verse 5, bear your own load, which is not a contradiction to what he's said in verse 2. In verse 2, he's talking about a burden. And in verse 5, he uses a different word. In our English translations, it's burden in verse 2 and load in verse 5. The reason that two different words are used is that Paul in the Greek uses two different words. The burden is that which you're struggling to lift unaided. The load is that which you are to carry, which is your allotted task in Christ to carry. So in other words, what Paul is is saying here, as we make our way through this closing chapter, you are to look out for the brother or sister who's wandered off the path or who is struggling under a burden that they can't bear on their own. And whilst you have to have a heart filled with concern to restore them with gentleness and to fulfill the law of Christ, you're not to use these others as measuring your own spiritual progress. God will require you to give account of how faithfully you have fulfilled your allotted task as a man or woman who is a Christian. And it is your responsibility. And it is yours alone. And it's not a responsibility that someone else can bear with you or for you. If you have a burden, they can come and bear it. But the load that God has given you to carry is your load to carry. And it can't be shared. You can't palm it off onto someone else. What are the opportunities that God has placed in front of you? And how have you used them? This is the issue. This is the point Paul's getting to in verse 5. What are the gifts that God has granted to give you? And how have you exercised them for the edification of the church and for the glory of Christ? Because I can't exercise your gifts. Only you can. In the same way that you can't exercise my gifts. Only I can. How are we doing? What are the things over which God has made you a steward? And how are you exercising your stewardship? That's that's what verse 5 is about. What are the commands of Christ which those who love him will keep? And what has your love for Christ been like? And to what degree has your love for him driven you to keep his commandments? Because you love him. So avoid the temptation to be tied up with busybodying in other people's business whilst paying no attention to yourself and that which the Lord requires of you that you must faithfully carry. Don't be in the habit of finding fault with others, delighted over that speck that you found in their eye while you're walking around looking absolutely ridiculous with a six-foot length of two before sticking out your own eye. Don't be be so conceited in your own imagined spiritual maturity that you can even begin 
to conceive, you can't even begin to conceive of the idea that you've still got some way to go yet. God requires each one to carry their own load. Whatever your position in life, whatever your position in the church, a child or a parent, an employer or an employee, a free man or a slave, wealthy or poor, single or married, old or young, church member or church elder, fulfill the task that God has given you, is what Paul is saying here. You are responsible for your task, and you're the only person who's responsible for it. And if and when that includes carrying the burden with another, then carry it. When that includes restoring another in a spirit of gentleness, then restore them and do it more gently than you ever thought you could. And it definitely includes walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Jesus told a parable. Three stewards had all been allotted a certain number of talents, by which is meant a certain portion of this man's assets. Think it as money, if you wish, if that helps. One had five talents, one was given two talents, one was given one talent. Think, it, think of it as 5,000 pounds, 2,000 pounds, 1,000 pounds, 50,000, 20,000, 10,000. It's the picture and the principle that's important. And the master departs and then later returns. And he requires each of them to have been faithful with however many talents that individual had been given. And each steward has to give an account for the talents they had been given. Now, could those stewards help and advise and encourage one another along the way? Well, of course they could if they were so minded. But a day of reckoning was coming when each steward, one by one, face to face with the master, is to be held accountable for the talents that they have been given. And they're not accountable for anyone else's talents, only their own. And what does the master want to see? One thing, faithful stewardship of what he had given them. Faithful stewardship of what the Lord has placed into your hands, what he will yet place into your hands. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 5. That parable's in Matthew 25, if you want to read it later. Never mind about him or her. What have you done with what I gave you. That's what verse 5 is all about. Do you remember what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 4? God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, because that's the measurement that we're after. That's where we're measuring ourselves. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine or by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And here it is again. It's about growing up into Christ. He is the standard. He is the measure. And then what does he say? Listen. From whom? Christ. From Christ. The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, because one of the ways that God works is through us collectively as his people, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, because yes, Christ is the head of his church and he's over all things and he is our strength and shield, but he works through us together, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And this afternoon, we've seen that to do that, we need the bare necessities. Bear the burdens of others. Bear self-examination. And bear your own load. To do this is to demonstrate that you are growing up in all things into him who is the head, who is Christ. Well, the Lord bless us and help us. And we're going to close with a sung benediction. So we'll just sit quietly and reflect upon the words that come up and make this your own prayer for yourself, for ourselves as a church, that the Lord would continue his precious work of grace within each one of us, that we might grow up into all things which is to grow up into Christ.